0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, joined as usual by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Returning special guest, finally, after a few dozen weeks of editing, is none other than our own sound engineer, Mr. Pat McCaffrey. What's up, Pat? Hey, it's good to be back, guys. So for today, for episode 105, We are finally beginning our coverage of the conclusion to Glenn Book's Gooks of the Glittering Stone. (laughs) Books of the Glittering Stone with Soldiers Live, covering everything up to and through chapter 52. There's going to be a lot going on in this book. What? Did I say 52? I meant to say 62. I actually wrote down 62. Rob is in rare form today. Rob is in very common form today. As anybody who has made it to this point knows, (laughs) this is just expected at this point. So tons going on in this book. I'm going to pass this off at this point to drew so that we can get our weekly recap. Take her away, dude. Tons going
1: on is right. Uh, we pick up four years after the events of water sleeps. The company is in the land of unknown shadows or Sian as the locals call it and have been aggressively recruiting, building, uh, gaining new knowledge. And in general, uh, Regaining or even surpassing their old form. Our analyst, as we mentioned last week, is Croaker once again. Yeah. But Sleepy has been promoted. She is now the captain. Uh, Lady is sort of still the lieutenant, but much less involved uh, as all the captured uh, are. They're, they kind of just hang around and, and do their thing. And Sleepy and Suverin are running the show. Tobo is the uh, the company sorcerer and has become quite powerful, but it all kicks off when the four Velaka, Lisa Deola Bowalk, gets through the Shadow Gate and into the land of unknown shadows. Uh, kills One Eye just uh, you know hours after Mother Goda died of a a stroke, and. Croker uh, gets injured but survives because Lady blew up One Eye's uh, pot still in the back, um, and and uh, they you know the company set off in motion. They're like, all right, it's time now. They head to Kang fai the repository of knowledge, where they steal the information they need to repair the shadow gates. They then pick up and, and march off after. Facing down the File of Nine, the local warlords, Croker and Lady and Mergen and Doge and Tidei all head to Kadovar, where they are going to hunt down the Forvalaka, while Sleepy and Suverin and the rest of the company march on across the plain to return to their original world. But first they stop off at the Fortress with No Name, where Blade has been overseeing... Uh, efforts to collect all the treasure from the caverns, but he collects one more thing. Goblin, who is somehow alive. Goblin is sent off to Kadovar to, to be dealt with by, you know, Croker and Lady and everybody. On Kadovar, they discover there is a family of sorcerers there called the Boroshk, who are not the smartest. And after some uh, some poor decisions on their part... The Shadow Gate is destroyed, leading to Katovar uh, opening the way for the Shadows to invade their world once again. Lisa Bolok is killed and defeated. Uh, the group of the company there capture one member of the Voroshk, a, a teenage girl, and several others join them willingly to escape the Shadows. They rush back across the plain, meet back up with Sleepy and the company but not quite in time because uh, there was an erstwhile capture of Narayan Singh and the Daughter of Night. Narayan is killed by Goblin. The Daughter of Night escapes, or rather is captured by Soulcatcher's forces, and then captured again by Soulcatcher. Goblin, in turn, is also captured by Soulcatcher. And... uh, we are left with the company in a very interesting situation where they have captured Dejigore. They're in an alliance with Aradapha Singh and Mogaba against Soulcatcher. They're in an alliance with Soulcatcher against Goblin and the Daughter of Night.
0: And uh, and and things are getting crazy. And, so and things are getting crazy. That may as well have been the title of this book. <laughs> Yeah, one of one of the longer uh, recaps I've done for a Black Company book, and this is only half the book. Yeah. So, how are we starting with style? Anybody have anything in particular they want to open the gate with? Um.
2: Yes. Yes, I have a couple style things that I want to talk okay. about. Okay. I'm gonna save one of them for uh, the next Soldiers Live episode because it's more pertinent to that. Sure.
0: Okay. And, fair. And
2: a little bit, a little bit of this doesn't have to do with this book, but I've not had a chance to come on recently and talk about the Black Company in general. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, everything that I'm going to say applies to Soldiers Live as well. Um, The first thing I want to mention is a little pet peeve of mine about Glenn Cook. And that's, like, ever since Shadow Games started, there was a streak, an unbroken streak of, like, anti-clericalism that got brought up with every single character. like, And he just harps on it over and over and over again and we're like okay Glenn we get it we get it maybe like three times mentioning this was fine but the biggest problem with it is that it 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 doesn't amount to anything it never goes anywhere he just throws it in because it's something he wants to say like okay uh, i i'm reading a fantasy book i don't care about what your real world views are on certain things like just just entertain me. And that aspect of his writing in these later books is not entertaining in the, in the slightest.
1: That's interesting. I never got the impression that he was trying to preach like Glenn Cook was trying to preach. I, I always read it just as um, a, another aspect of his character development where he wanted these people to feel like real, fully developed human beings and and therefore they are going to have interests and opinions that aren't necessarily like plot shifting major important things. Uh, and and that's not to say that there isn't any plot importance to the, the uh, religious aspects of the cultures in the South. Um, and, and I think it makes sense, especially with, um, you know, with Croker and Lady and, And uh, like Swan and Blade, you know, people who came from the North, from cultures that, as we saw in the early books, just didn't really have much in the way of organized religion. And then entering a culture in the South that is just incredibly religious. Uh, You know, there are very few locals in the South who aren't religious in one way or another. And so it, it does make a little bit of sense to me that they would feel um, critical of the religions. And obviously, you know, we have like Blade, who's a a special case. You know, he's like, he had some sort of nebulous run-in with priests in the past who may or may not have been the people who threw him to the crocodiles in the first place. And so he just, he hates priests. But but you are right. There is a certain amount of cynicism in, in these later books, around the idea of organized religion and the people who um you know uh relay that religion to the masses
2: yeah i mean okay so in, in a in in some ways in limited ways um the religions of the south play a part in the events but they're not major events they're very limited and, and you know, uh, on par—they're not on par with the the level of threat of like the Shadow Masters pose, or the Shadow Gates, or Soul Catcher,
0: or Mogaba, well, or any Kina. of those
2: like Orkina.
0: Well, um, but th- that's Kina's a, a very religious aspect of this. Of, uh, well, yeah, definitely the, the, for the Deceiver's, deceivers worshiper—that yeah. is an organized religion, and it's the only religion that we really see that has a huge impact on on the current major events. I can see that being uh, an issue for someone who's more invested with religious aspects being you know, important players in, in stories of this size. I myself am not a particularly religious person at all. So I, I, I can just say I didn't really even notice, but I can see for someone who, who you know, f- for whom religion is a little more important in their lives and what they look for, it, I can see how this would be like, hey, well, where, is the, where are the bigger players besides the deceivers who are just downright evil? I can see that being a valid criticism, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's kind of a minor point and just something that it bugs me. Because if, if we got it with like one or two characters, I, I it wouldn't be a problem for me. Like Blade, but we get it with Blade, we get it with Croker, we get it with Lady. It's just ugh.
1: and Mergen. And Mergen. Part of just, the issue, and of course, Sleepy,
0: is to an extent. Sleepy's um, a but no a little the, bit. But she is religious. Up there, as the she's tone. religious, but she's very cynic, cynical about everything, including her, like right. herself. It's right
2: like she's not a good representation i think like she, she's not the character who's like your typical religious person i would say
1: right and that's but she not doesn't the point of her portray people. people who are religious as um negatively as the northern analysts do as you know croaker lady and mergen do that's true. Uh, and and I think that's just that's where that like cultural impact in developing characters comes into play. I've wondered um, like many like she times even oh. if
2: I've I've wondered many times if he threw her in and wrote her the way he did just you know to to provide a little bit of contrast, a little bit of relief.
1: I do think so. Uh I think he wanted because there there's such a theme in these later books of the outside cultural impact of the company changing taglios changing the the taglian territories and their beliefs and cultures um and and we see it from that outside perspective of the company and so i think it was probably really attractive to glen cook to have a mm. a bridge between those cultures with sleepy who is of the company but is native to mm you know the taglian regions and it's it's thematically appropriate because one of the the main
2: themes that we're experiencing in these books is the comp- the old company merging with the new company they eventually become indistinguishable mm-hmm. which is the idea and then it's it's still just the same old black company
1: right yeah it's the, this kind of overarching theme that uh the Black Company is the main character. Yes, we've talked Not about Not any that one of these. Time. Yeah, yeah. So, and it's
2: a good. I think that's a good and productive way to read these books from that point of view.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Although I definitely have the analysts that I prefer and the ones that I don't. Uh, yeah yeah like Croker. I think everybody does. Croker's like he's my favorite.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. We yeah. even ranked them uh, last episode, didn't we? we, um, we uh, yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had Croker at the top of my list, although I didn't really understand as much of the uh, the hate for Mergen that I, I hear some people have. <laughs> I don't hate. Mergen. Yeah, Rob he's, liked Mergen a lot. He's a second favorite,
2: I would say. They, yeah, again, you're there, right there with me. Followed by Lady mm-hmm. and then Sleep. Followed by and
1: Lady. Yeah, last.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think you have the exact same list that I had.
1: Cat- um, Cat- uh, Cat- but, but, so one of the things that I liked. On the topic of analysts, you know, going back to Croker here is the the sarcasm and the wit yeah. that that is just built into the fabric of Croker's writing. You know that that we get we got humor in in Sleepy and Mergen's things, but it it felt more deliberate, especially with Sleepy, like mm. where she she almost felt the need to try to be funny to fit in. With the cult, you know, the culture of the company. Whereas with Croker, it just feels so nonchalant, so offhand. Like, I, I had a couple of lines um, highlighted that these are things only Croker could say mm. uh, in, in the annals. Like, uh, where he's talking about the, the logistics of the company's situation. He says, crossing the plane is a major undertaking because you have to carry with you everything you will need for a week. Up there, there is nothing to eat but glittering stone. Stone remembers, but stone has little nutritional value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that line. I had a little bit of a uh, chuckle. And and my, my personal favorite, maybe the funniest thing in the entire series for me is when Croker <laughs> is warning Tobo about the Voroshk girls. And he says, considering the females in his experience, I could see how he might think a feeble sense of humor was a sex linked characteristic.
0: You're taking the next thing I'm
1: about to say. uh, Only Iqbal Singh's wife ever smiled and joked. And Suravisha's lot was the poorest of all the women associated with the company. And then he says to Tobo, but all you can see is long legs, long blonde hair, Big
0: blue eyes and a monumental set of gazumbies. <laughs> yeah. I wrote down the exact timestamp of that and I was sitting here hurriedly uh, transcribing it in my notes before we went live because I definitely wanted to talk about that line. So I'm glad to see that we are, I guess, literally on the same page.
1: And yeah. The word gazumbies is, is so ridiculous. It is so funny. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah, but you know, you know who else has developed a really nice sarcastic streak um, is Lady, and now that, yes, it's, now sure. that it's Grandma yep. Lady and Grandpa Croaker, yeah. You know, it's yes, actually this... it like it, it. It's a great way in this in this final book to be uh, seeing their characters in this because in in my mind, Lady hasn't had much much development, like really a lot changed for her in the books of the South. Yeah, not since Dreams of Steel. And so, seeing it, this new aspect is like, okay, like it makes me feel like
1: like he's doing something with her character. Uh huh. Um, yeah, and, and so the humor, I think, th- this is just one of those things that's uh, a a signpost that this is Croker writing. It, it's just funnier overall. Yeah. Than than any of the other analysts.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, like, I know. I, in, in some ways, I, I kind of pity Croker, and in, in some ways, and I'm going to elaborate upon this, just give me a second. Sure, Lady sounds like she was wonderful back in her day, her day being 400 years of her history, you know. Mm. But she's always, for me, been this ominous, threatening bitch of a person. <laughs> but now here she is, she's surrounded, like, like, like... Croaker is there surrounded by all these sources of eye candy for lack of a better term and he can't catch a break for innocently watching younger girls to use his term bouncing about there's just so much to adore <laughs> about his exchanges with Lady and their chemistry the way they're calling each other pet names like Hun you know, I never had yeah. I thought to see these two reduced to the roles of, like, perverted boomer and nagging older wife. I just found so much entertainment out of it here. Well, it was just, oh, it if was
2: great. If you think about it, this is the first time in the series we've actually seen their relationship uh, in sure. a solidified sense. Because well, in, yeah. in Shadow Games, it was just getting started. It, obviously, mm-hmm. in Dreams of Steel and Bleak Seasons, She Is the Darkness and Water Sleeps, there's all these barriers up. And and were were kept from their relationship, which was frustrating because yep. I'm really interested in it. I it's one of my favorite <laughs> relationships in fantasy. I agree. So
1: finally getting it is nice. Mm, I uh, I I liked that yep. we we had a little little slip in that they are officially married. They mm. you know they had a ceremony, uh, and of course in typical Croaker fashion, he he's he reveals this information by making a joke about it saying that he should have brought a lawyer like <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it's still for for, for croaker you know even though I, i'm sure if you heard me say this next part he'd be suggesting something that's anatomically impossible unless i were some species of worm or something but <laughs> honestly he's the last surviving member of the black company as it was when we first started it like mean, there is goblin of course but That doesn't really count too much at this point, especially not for Croker. Like, there's not a lot of common ground for them anymore. Croker is left with this black company that he doesn't even recognize anymore. And that's got to, that's got to be rough. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, Do we have any more style things? Because we're we're starting to edge into the Oh, damn. For some reason, I had already thought we had started Croker. Yeah, no. As far as style things go, I do have a couple things. What about you guys? Uh, Go ahead. Okay, these bite-sized chapters. These small small chapters. I mean, we're halfway through the book and we're ending on chapter 62. You know, yeah. I actually like that. It, again, it makes it more digestible for me. I think I had I said this uh, a lot of this exact same thing earlier about another book in this series. We're switching between viewpoints, especially now, and uh, as places. Viewpoints listed as places, more so than characters. We're checking in briefly with Soulcatcher and Mogaba and Narayan Singh in between these travels of the Black Company with with Sleepy and her forces separated from Croker and Lady and Captivar. There's this very kind of frenetic style to what's happening, even though most of it is still a lot of just traveling and wisecracks. But there's a lot happening and it's 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 managing to spread itself thin in a way that doesn't feel like it loses substance. I actually really liked it.
1: Yeah, I this was actually my kind of final style point was the structure of this book and how, you know, we we're back to Croker. We we have Croker as a bookend for the series. We start with Croker and we end with Croker. The first book in the series, if you remember, only had seven chapters. Yeah. Oh my it God! I had seven short stories written by Croker, and this one there are over a hundred and forty chapters in this book. Right, and it's not all. Croker has adopted a totally different writing style from what he was doing at the beginning of the series into the end, and we see it gradually progressing throughout the series. Croker not only changes the way uh, he builds his narratives. But he gets um, as he gets older. He gets more like verbose. He he has a more um, flowing and poetic voice. And when you dig beneath the surface, there are reasons for both of these things. One, you know, he's he's getting older. He's becoming more introspective and philosophical as he's advancing in age. And two. Especially in this book, like Rob said, there the pace of the events in this book is crazy. Croker is doing a lot of traveling. He can't write while he's in the saddle, so he has to snatch little bits of time when he's settled down to jot down some notes in the annals. So his chapters are short, because he doesn't have a whole lot of sustained writing time. He just sits down and he's like, you know here's two, three pages, here's seven, eight pages, here's two, three pages again. You are know, like, he he doesn't have the time to sit around like he did at the Fortress of Deal yeah. when they were all just playing Tonk and waiting through the winter, you know, <laughs> to, well, to then, write basically a short story. Like <laughs> it, it really meshes well with the plot of this
2: book, too, because as we've said, there's a lot of things going on, and it would be, like, really hard not to have the reader burn themselves out if this book was written as those seven big chunks.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely. So, a really good move on on
0: Glenn Cook's part. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Agreed. My my mm-hmm. very, very last style point. I have to admit that I wasn't entirely thrilled with finding out there's this other new major player, or at least it, as, as it was introduced, that I have to learn about. I mean, we're at the, we're at the literal end of the series. We're on the... the oh my god, book 10? Book 9? Book 10? Water Sleeps book was 9, uh, yes? Uh, Counting the Silver Spike, this is book 10. Okay, Counting the Silver Spike, we're on book 10 at least definitely for our coverage of the podcast. And still welcome now we have now we have the Voroshk, another new family <laughs> with new customs, new agendas, another major player that we have to figure out if we can understand enough to even trust them. I'm just I'm at this point I'm a little jaded. I'm tired on meeting new people after everything that's happened in the books of the North. And then in the Shadow... In, in the Shadow games. In Shadow games with our travels, we have the NAR, the Nguyen Bao, the Taglians, who themselves are split into the, the Goonie, the Vedna, the Shadar. We have the Deceivers, and they're the whole shitstorm that they're trying to start here. <laughs> the Shadowlanders we have to kind of keep track of. And now we have the Varoshk. It, it, more than that, we have these shadows that Tobo is so familiar with, and he's just, like, magnetizing all around him. What Whatever the hell the Nef are, I'm just... Yeah. I, I'm I'm when I saw the name the name of the Varoshk the first time I have to admit a small part of me just went oh crap this late in the book <laughs> and we're still meeting new peoples and I'm just like I'm very impatient at this point in to addition, get to the end to see how our pieces are going to fit together I hate approaching that end and knowing that these are the last chapters they are imminent and still having whole new pieces introduced and at, and at the same time that all this is going
2: on we still have characters who never die.
0: And oh, my God. They've been killed
2: multiple times, and they're still not dead, and they're haunting us still.
1: Well, well we don't have anybody like that in this book. Well, well but we have... Soul, ca- soul Catchers in this book. Well, yeah, the but she's Howler been around for forever. Book. Yeah. She's been around in against the Shadow Games, but... That's well, what I'm, I'm saying. Know. They, they were... both died in the first yep. book, and we've known they're alive
0: for forever since then you know but take boo boo again just re- this returning threat she's constantly running or she's switching hands or she's escaping and then she's running and then she's being captured and then she's being switching hands and it's just i guess for me it's this this theme of returning threats that are always in the wind and sometimes they're a threat and sometimes they're not and then down the road there'll be a threat again i don't know i feel like the
1: Deceivers in Kina and...
0: Those have and been pretty, sol- pretty solid. Yeah, that's like yeah.
1: that's like the ongoing threat. Yeah, that's the like, big one. Them and Soulcatcher have been the ongoing threat of the Books of the South and Books of Glittering yeah. Stone. Hmm. Um, with Howler, I mean, I, I don't have an issue with Howler. Like, he wasn't killed at the end of She is the Darkness. We've known that he was still alive and that he was going to be involved. Um, although I like that his involvement is different now. He's working with the company.
2: Yeah, you know um, the the shifting alliances are something I have mixed feelings about. Like sometimes it's really cool, like in the case of Howler and <laughs> Long Shadow, like like oh we're on the same side now. Like okay, that was an interesting twist of, of circumstances. But then like Croker trusting Soulcatcher earlier on, obviously a huge mistake. <laughs> yeah. I do. Um, anyone trusting Narayan Singh farther than they can throw his bony ass is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mind-bogglingly
0: stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I but uh, it's the end of my style. Yeah, games,
1: shall we head into character um,
2: discussion yeah. then? I did. I did oh. have one final quick style point thing. It's it's the thing that keeps the Black Company from really attaining, the you know the really highest places on my on my favorites list. And I, I will say right before I start that this is a subjective uh, unit of measurement. It's totally personal. I like it but already. The, the way I read fantasy and science fiction kind of goes like this. Like when I read fantasy, what I want to see is a vision of what humanity could be. its very at its at its best like it's idealistic and optimistic (laughs) in in ways like if you think about the classic fantasies like the lord of the rings and the chronicles of narnia and and even the wheel of time these kinds of things apply and then when i read sci-fi it's the other end of the spectrum like i want to see what humanity can lose what are the (laughs) things that get taken away from us like our humanity, to varying degrees, in certain books, and our freedoms, and all of that stuff. The Black Company doesn't fit into this, into this little uh, scheme that I have going on here. It's not optimistic. <laughs> Breaking
1: news: it's, Pat uh, does not like
2: grimdark fantasy. I mean, neither do I. I <laughs> I'm there with I do him. Like, but I
1: do like grimdark science fiction. <laughs> Yes, you do, but well, well. I would say you like dark science fiction. Mm. So, uh, I mean, I don't want to get like into the weeds of like subgenre arguments, but grimdark fantasy is a specific thing that, generally speaking, wants to tackle um, the gray areas of human morality, mm-hmm. and and that's not what you want, you know.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, no, like the the vision of humanity in this series, I think, is a little lopsided onto the onto the pessimistic view.
1: I don't yes, think, yeah, but it's of course, that makes realistic. sense given our points of view.
2: Right, we have we're reading sure. from the point yeah. of view of a bunch of jaded soldiers. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, seen that's what, yeah, that's why some pretty dark
1: things. Oh yeah, um, that's why I'll agree. Well, even we'll So I I have a, a kind of a counterpoint to this and. And we can discuss this more in, in um characters if we want, but mm. I do think Glenn Cook makes an effort to provide us characters who do not fit that mold, who do stand apart as like representations of what good humanity can be. And Aridatha Singh is one of those.
2: Yeah, he's a G. Yeah. Yeah. I would also say like as weird as this sounds initially Mergen has some touches of this because of his relationship with Sara. Mhm. Like that's where it kind of comes in for him. Like he's he's transcending the horrible things that have happened to him with this yes. loving relationship and that was that was a little bit of what I wanted to see.
1: Mhm. Well, and I think I think we get a bit of that as well with Case and Darling. Um much earlier in the series, mm-hmm. uh, darling, especially, you know she's she's one of these people who was I mean she lived a a horribly difficult life, disabled, you know, uh, abused and assaulted as a child, and then grew up in a you know a brutal militaristic culture. and then her father was raven, right <laughs> not the best father figure ever. not the best, uh, you say. um but but through it all she still retains this like streak of decency and 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 goodness and she eventually earns a peaceful happy life
2: right you know she's if you think about it the closest to like the archetypal fantasy hero Mm -hmm.
1: that we sure That's that's
2: the place that she fits right into that
1: yeah, if anybody in the black company follows the hero's journey, the the you know, the monomyth the you know, the standard um series of, you know, uh leaving, you know, their village, like journeying into the the world, gaining a mentor figure whom they lose, uh, you know, all of this
0: stuff, that's darling. Mm-hmm. She is the hero. Yeah. She fits right into that. I mean, I, I myself learned. literally just learned a week or two ago at this point what the hero's journey was and and what it, who like you know, all about Joseph Campbell and how like mm-hmm. he proposed it as this template for so many things that you read and you may or may not agree with it, but you can't deny that. I mean, yeah, you're totally right. It, Darling is like she she fits right into that slot like like perfectly.
2: No, I mean, yeah. and, uh, like people view the hero's journey as kind of cliche. In nowadays, but I would defend its its place in fantasy because, yeah, like without that, what do we have? I mean, we have a, exactly. we have a series like The Black Company where there's a lot of grim and not a lot of rays of light at, at the end of any tunnels.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I do think that there is a place for the hero's journey. I don't think every fantasy book needs to adhere to it, sure. Um, certainly
2: not. Certainly not. But yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I do think there has been such a dramatic shift in opposition to it uh in in the last twenty years, really 20, 25 years. You know, the advent of Grim Dark Fantasy, the the boom in popularity from a song of ice and fire, and then the you know, the spiritual successors to that in in uh to, to Martin and like Joe Abercrombie and Steven Erickson and Mark Lawrence. And and I'm I'm not going to absolve Glenn Cook from his place in this because each of those authors I just mentioned have all been on record as saying Glenn Cook was an inspiration to them because of his work with the Black Company and the Dread Empire and things like that. Oh, Uh, Glenn. I don't don't personally quite think of the Black Company as being grimdark fantasy, but it is at the very least the godfather of grimdark fantasy. It is the, yeah. the the progenitor of the American trend in right. in in darker, more cynical fantasy that we see today. Right, he did lay a lot of
2: foundations, and yeah. I can't blame. Bumper. I I don't blame him for the fact that his successors lack imagination. <laughs> Yeah, you can't hold him.
0: Yeah, yeah. fighting I mean, words for Pat.
1: <laughs> Going to alienate some <laughs> of our uh, our listeners with that. I'm making one. out a hey, podcast. Our dear, it's all right. We're we're familiar with alienating listeners. <laughs> our dear beloved listeners can feel free to debate
2: me on this anytime.
0: <laughs> bring can it! I love people. it. That's a that's yeah. a big old shining red. Bring it from Pat McCaffrey. We,
2: we are a podcast that likes to engage with its audience
0: yes yes absolutely
2: this
1: kind of thing
0: (laughs) absolutely so on uh, on,
1: on that note shall we move into character discussion here yeah i mean
0: i've already (laughs) said a lot about croaker and lady that i meant to say up by this point so i'll just toss it off to you guys (laughs) go ahead um yeah
2: croaker and lady are pretty much covered for me um mogaba is someone who's got interesting
0: things going on oh yeah we'll well. we'll be we, we can start with mogaba yeah sure i'm down i don't have a lot to say or anything really I mean, you can really?
2: start to see you can start to see the cracks and the doubts really getting to him. And for once, they're going to drastically change his trajectory,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which has, yeah, yeah. this is new for
0: Mogaba. He's admitting a lot of his faults and let go of a lot of but his anger. He, we got some of that at the end of, um, oh, my God, Dreams of Steel, was it? When when, they, when he reunited no, with Croaker, he told him Look, not really though. That was his that's moment
2: where he where he could have but decided not to. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's like fair. he he yeah. bitched out and said, "Oh, I can't," you know. But that's just a that's a that's a lame excuse.
1: Yeah, th- this is a different a different Mogaba for sure, and I I enjoyed Mogaba as a villain. Uh, through the first, you know, five, six books of the the general south mm. of the Kina storyline. Um, but it's really in this book that I think he becomes a great character. Yeah, uh, As Cook does work to make him sympathetic for his readers. And, and the way he engages in an honest manner with Gopal and Aradatha Singh it's it's a totally different approach that Mogaba is taking. It used to be, you know, like his way or the highway kind of thing. And now he's willing to put himself out there mm-hmm. in order to uh, help other people. I mean, he's doing all of this because he thinks it's for the good of Taglios. It's not because of his ego anymore. He's not out to prove... I'm the greatest general of all time. He's not out to prove I should be in charge of the black company. No, he's here because he's like, I care for the people. I have come to care for the people of Taglios. And I have reached a breaking point where the damage Soulcatcher is doing to them is pushing me to act. Mm-hmm. And and we even get some toss-away lines, you know, about his journal. You know, he's begun journaling. And this is when he realizes that Kina is active again. And he thinks about how he will destroy the journal before they try to do anything about Soulcatcher. Because if it goes wrong, he doesn't want to incriminate other people. He wants to protect other people. That's, we've never seen Magaba protecting before. Right. (laughs) You know, like, it's it's a new path for him to take. And I love it. I really love it. The only thing I wish is that we had,
2: like, some sort of seminal moment Where he, where he changed, like some event,
1: or anything in particular.
2: But it's it's a we get the impression it was the slow accretion of time, Mm -hmm. which can happen. Definitely, which can happen for sure. I, I would just rather have seen it on the page.
1: Right, but it's yeah. I mean,
2: I think that's fair. It's still really encouraging because ever since Mogaba started to go bad, I wanted him. To come back, so uh, I wanted him to get over himself, pretty much.
1: Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um,
1: and... Rob, do do you have anything to add to that? Uh, not particularly. I mean. See, I'm you surprised know, by was, it because I
0: remember when we when we met Mogaba in Shadow Games, you were like all about him. I was. You were so interested was, in him, but it made so much sense. I remember also saying in that moment that he's he has so much potential to be a pain in everyone's ass. And so when it happened, I just kind of at the moment you wrote him off. Although I will say, I will say, hearing you uh, phrase his uh, introspective, I don't know, tendencies lately. Uh, I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to make a prediction that he's actually going to have some sort of cool sacrifice play going forward in the future. That'll be my, my only point about Mogaba for today. Because you're right, I mean, I was totally on board with the guy when I first met him. So I, yeah. I shouldn't be surprised, I suppose, that he's, you know, starting to think about what he's done and, and wanting to, to fix some of his mistakes, if you want to call them that. Mm. I like Indeed. it. I just, I, yeah, I didn't really Drew, find much down to, to comment about.
2: Drew, what you're thinking about right now at this moment is going to be on my top three favorite scenes. I'm
1: just really?
2: You, I'm just telling you that Ooh. right now. Yes. <laughs>
1: well, okay, okay. All right. Because I, really I, I know. Mystery. I
2: know. Where, I know where your mind's going. It's you like, do. Okay. You definitely do. I'm there.
0: <laughs> I have 95% of the context I need to understand what you're talking about right now, too, at this <laughs> oh. point. I've only got half of one book left now. That's all I've got. Man,
1: I, I just have to say, before we go on... How thrilled I am that we're finally talking about Soldiers Live. Right. Like, I've been waiting (laughs) for so long. (laughs) It's one of my favorite Uh, books in the series, to be sure. It is my favorite book in the
2: series.
1: (laughs) It it, it is, in my opinion, one of the finest series-ending books ever. And specifically, it has the best ending, like, final page of any series ever written, as every good series
2: should. <laughs> oh, it's looking and, at you, and, I mean,
1: George R. I can, R. Martin, you fat fuck! Uh, <laughs> oh, shots I fired! Can, I can, I can say this, like uh, Rob, y- you have come to appreciate, even with all of your your stumbling blocks and and your your pitfalls with Glenn Cook's writing style in this series. You have always said this dude knows
0: how to open and close books. Oh, I've, I've never questioned that ability, and a few other things that I really like about him with yeah, with his with his prose. But absolutely correct yeah. about that. He this guy can open and close a book like no one else that I've read. I think.
1: No, no, I I certainly have never read anybody else who
0: who is so good at the
1: first two to five pages and the last two to five pages, mm-hmm. like. Whew. Yeah. But 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 we're finally we're finally there. We're we're in Soldier's Live now and and like you said, you have ninety-five percent of the context.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm so close now. I'm we're we're land. in the, the penultimate five percent of the series. <laughs> yeah. I just thought of one more thing about Lady. Actually it was a question I had about Lady. Oh once, okay, yeah, we can talk about Lady. Once again, she slips up and she refers to Soulcatcher as her baby sister. Okay, so I've been sister. waiting. One of
1: those two. I have been waiting until now. Oh. Uh, I've I've implied this several times uh, earlier in the series, but I've been waiting until now to really dive into it. Oh, there are major inconsistencies behind the genealogies of the Senjak sisters.
0: Right,
1: it, <laughs> with with what we are given in uh in the White Rose. And what we are given throughout the books of the South and the books of Glittering Stone, it simply does not work. Unless Croker was lying in the White Rose about the genealogy, excuse me, about the genealogy to protect the lady. Oh. <laughs> either, uh, either okay. her name wasn't really Dorothea. She's supposed to be the youngest, Dorothea. yeah. Um, or she was Dorotea and she wasn't the youngest. Uh, there, there are a couple of options here and I will, I will say because we're not going to be covering Port of Shadows, at least we won't for a long time. I was going to ask Port of Um, Shadows
2: adds wrinkles to the mask.
1: Oh God. Yeah. Port of Shadows like directly contradicts like in Port of Shadows, we are given to understand that the lady is
0: not Dorotea. Yes. Um, I'm so Glenn confused Cook, now. I'm even more yeah, confused. I don't even brought Glenn this Cook up. Glenn Cook
1: wants us to be confused. Like, he wants us to be. And I swear uh, to God... This is one I... of those things where, where I keep bringing up the idea of the unreliable narrator here, and, you know, Jared, back in, in whatever episode that was, Bleak Seasons or Dreamsteel, he was like, well, we, we should... Pump the brakes on the unreliable narrator thing, because otherwise you end up just questioning every little basic detail. And I'm like, well, maybe we should be questioning every little basic. Detail. I swear, I heard the name Ardath <laughs> pop up in the audiobook but, again. Some uh, yes, Soulcatcher thinks Lady is Ardath. So, so, so they don't even know who each other are. Well, the lady yeah. knows who Soulcatcher is. The lady knows who Soulcatcher is. Okay. She knew Definitely. all the names of the Taken, yes. and that's why the the unknown shadows know Soulcatcher's name. Oh, there's there's the one the one bit where Soulcatcher Soul? is,
0: okay,
1: uh, you know, under assault, uh, and she she remarks that as she's traveling, the unknown shadows are constantly whispering, you know, behind her back and in her ears, and she says some of them even knew her true name.
0: You know, I guess it does. It shouldn't surprise me, because honestly, with knowing Soulcatcher like I know her now, if she knew Lady's name, she would have overthrown her centuries ago, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah, okay. That make that makes sense. I'm just, I'm still confused by this. I, I, my head cannon was set when we learned in the White Rose that Dorotea, the youngest, and we saw that name used on her. I was like, okay, that. The, so every time I hear baby sister coming from Lady, I'm confused. I just it with my head. Well so and
1: and there's an extra wrinkle added in if you go back to the the encounter with the dominator at the Barrowland. Yeah, yeah. Now okay. the Dominator obviously knows all of their names, because he took Soulcatcher. You know? Like he yeah. knows all the Taken's names. He was the one who took her originally. So he knows Soulcatcher's name, but he doesn't know Lady's name. He only tries three of the four names. And the one he yeah. doesn't try is Credence, which would imply that Credence is Soulcatcher's
0: name. Yeah. I think I remember that. I think I remember that, yeah.
1: Mm. So, or, or rather, he he tries two of the four. Uh, he tries Ardath He's and Silith. Ardath and Silith, right. Um, and then the Limper tries Credence, and that's wrong, and then Dorotea is used by Silent, and that works, according to what Croker recorded. But the fact that uh the fact that the Limper didn't use Credence implies that he knew Credence was Soulcatcher's name. The Dominator, yeah. you mean, not the Limper. Or yeah, the Dominator, sorry. Um yeah, it's so confusing I'm mixing myself yes. up. <laughs> um and yeah. then and then I I will I will point this out like uh, just because we're having the conversation now, we're going to see a scene in, in a few chapters here, where one of the Unknown Shadows calls Soulcatcher Silith. But that can't be her name. Because the Dominator knew her name, and the Dominator tried Silith on the lady. Hmm. That's so um, complex. Oh my goodness. Know, you know, it's ridiculous. Okay. okay. And, and like Pat said, this isn't even going into what happens <laughs> in Port of
2: Shadows. <laughs> I just want to throw one possibility out there. I don't, I'm don't. i not saying I necessarily believe this, but it's entirely possible that Glenn Cook just got really confused and started giving <laughs> us a bunch of wrong information. It, Even it
1: he could made be, it so And convoluted. it could also be that he's just being purposely, he's like, I'm just going to screw with all of them. <laughs> I could see that too. Uh... <laughs>
2: But that's what pisses me off about the whole thing is because I don't I don't mind if there's a mystery but at least give me the tools that I need to be able to solve yeah, the
1: right. mystery and he doesn't do that because he, he, he like emphatically does not do that <laughs> yeah I'm saying like I've been I've been working on uh, you know I'm friends with with uh, a lot of the people who help organize and run JordanCon and I've been working on them for a long time to try to get Glenn Cook to JordanCon as a guest and if it happens, I'm going to sit that guy down, and we're going to have a talk. <laughs> we're going to sit him down in an abandoned warehouse with matches between no, no. his toes. No, no, no. We're, going we're, to say, we're going to sit what him what? down in the King Suite at the Crown Plaza Ravinia in Atlanta. We're going to have some drinks, and, and we're going to chat amiably, and then he's going to tell me. If your method doesn't <laughs> he's work, we my me. method. That's all I'm saying. We'll try yours first. <laughs> but we're getting the answers, the it. <laughs> All right. Oh, <laughs> um,
0: okay. but anyway, uh,
1: back to back to the lady and soul catcher. <laughs> yeah, I don't really um, have much more to say about confused. the two of them. Uh, uh, oh, I thought Rob was in the middle of his
0: point. No, that was, that was my point. Oh, okay. I'm just confused. There, it's it's contrad- <laughs> Like it's c- going against what I thought was set in stone. So.
1: Okay, sweet. Okay,
0: um, uh, shall we move on to goblin? Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I gotta get something off my chest here, gentlemen. I understand. I understand that goblin, as it has turned out, isn't someone they can trust. But I was st- I was so pissed off upon the revelation of his survival. Not that he survived, but their first instinct was to treat him with suspicion and contempt. I was shaking my head, I was shaking in anger, particularly at Croaker and Sleepy, the latter of whom, you know, continued staring at Goblin, wondering if he was worth believing, wondering if the best course was just to kill him. The silence stretched, Goblin remained immensely uncomfortable, as he should be, considering the circumstances and his limited ability to ex- to explain what had happened to him. Like, I get it. Mm. Like, do you guys remember what he did, though? Oh, yeah. I wanted to scream at them. I was like... He, he charged the most evil and powerful goddess in her place of power down, imprisonment, whatever, to save the lives of those he could. Like, he literally bought you escape in the Black Company revival. His sacrifice was the most heroic and noble thing I've read in years. Okay, and if he's a little sus because of his extended imprisonment with, with Kina, at least give him the chance to show you why he sh- – like, before you just start yeah. spitting on him like that. It pissed me off. Well, you know what, what do, what doesn't make sense to me about that is like they have this
2: reaction, like given granted this suspicious reaction, they don't do anything about it. they, yeah, they, they kind they of just vacillate. let
1: him float in this limbo. Yeah,
2: like it... I, I found that I found that
1: irritating. I, I understand why Cook wrote it the way he did, but I, I agree with both of you guys. It was frustrating the first time I read this. Um, you know, obviously I have the retrospective view now where I know, like, yeah, no, he's going to betray them, he's going to kill Arudatha Singh and, and go, you know, try to rescue the daughter of Night and all that. And mm. um, uh, but, but the first time I read it, I was really frustrated. I was like, I want this to be Goblin. I want this to be the real Goblin. I want him to be you know, like, on the up-and-up, and and I want them to treat him like their friend, especially Croker, who who just lost one eye, you know? And Goblin is his only anchor to the past anymore. Okay, to give Glenn Cook the benefit of the doubt, could what he's doing here
2: be that the characters are experiencing what we're talking about, where they, like you, Drew, they want him to be Goblin, but Mm -hmm. they just can't believe it, and those mm-hmm. two, and those two things,
1: paralyze them. That's very much what I think it is. Yeah, uh, because we're we're seeing this from a very intimate viewpoint, uh, especially with Croaker. It, it would be easy for Croaker to not allow himself to fully elucidate his feelings mm. to Goblin in the annals. You know, and so yeah. he just records how he acted in the moment rather than all of the emotional turmoil going on inside of him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but obviously we're going to have more conversations about Goblin in, in, in the next Good. part of the book. Good, but yeah, for sure.
2: And I'll I want to save talking about some characters until then, too, when when there's enough stuff <laughs> there to talk yeah. about.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm with you, Pat. Uh, there may be some characters, like Rob, who? that you'll be the only one with points on because Pat and I want to talk okay. about it with
0: a little more context. But uh, okay, should I should I bring one of them up then?
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Sure, Go for it, man.
0: How about Soulcatcher? Ugh. Sure, we can talk about Soulcatcher. <sighs> I'm. I'm just. I'm done with Soulcatcher. I was tired of her as an antagonist by the end of the Books of the North. I was a little miffed by her return in the books of the South and, and just seeing her now as, as as a big antagonist and glittering stone and seeing how she, you know, leads for lack of a better term. I'm using air quotes there, by the way, with nothing but tyranny, fear and the lack of caring about any part of it. It just doesn't, doesn't strike me as realistic. I'm a big proponent of believable antagonists with clear motivations and, and reasonable abilities and faults as well. Soulcatcher <laughs> yeah, That's not Soulcatcher. <laughs> Soulcatcher fits none of that. She's just an insanely no. powerful, batshit crazy sorceress who honestly shouldn't even be able to find her way out of a wet paper bag with the way that she's portrayed. <laughs> she's cla- well, She's classic not. evil for the sake of evil sort of villain that I just it pit, that pisses me off. So I just can't wait to watch her die. Hmm. Um, okay. But- but
2: there's a lot of clashing <clears throat> there's a lot of clashing with soul catcher because there are moments in the series where croaker is musing about whether she really is like all bad and we are led as the audience to believe that she's not um, now that there's one clash another clash is her stated motivations or her implied motivations is she likes stirring things up she likes causing chaos she's a drama yeah she's a drama queen Um, but that doesn't (laughs) make sense when you consider that she's been sitting on her ass in taglios doing this really stressful thankless job for no other reason than to create chaos but what she's doing in a governmental position is not making chaos
1: yeah the Uh, there is something to that because it would be very easy for her... You know, she, she talks a lot about how bored she is yeah. in, in this part of the book. If that were really her entire driving focus, you know, causing chaos and, and being involved in drama, she should have turned around and gone back north years ago and tried oh, yeah. to reconquer Lady's Empire. Absolutely.
0: Yeah.
2: With, with yeah, the help so of just...
1: everyone from Taglius.
0: Yeah. I feel like there, like there could be a much better antagonist in her in her position. Just this repeated, crazy woman. That's just. Well, her, I think her... that's why we have Mogaba and and sure. Kina and the Deceivers. And yeah, G- Kina the Deceivers. Okay, that fits. I get that. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. But Soulcatcher um, herself, it just like what, no, well, you don't understand. One of the things
2: I like about Soulcatcher, though, is that she is actually a potent force. It's really oh, yeah. easy for authors to make their villains toothless, but Soulcatcher is not.
1: She yeah, makes I like sense, but she's dangerous. I liked in this part how we have the company built up to this just like unstoppable juggernaut, mm-hmm. and yes, they are overwhelming Soulcatcher through the first part of this book, through the first half. But she is not without her tools to fight back. She she can kill. She can kill, destroy whatever the unknown shadows. Um, She is at least um, smart enough to delegate tasks to her more effective lieutenants, like Mogaba and Ardatha Singh and Gopal Singh. She has this sorceress ability to overcome the the powers of, uh, you know, the daughter of night and and uh, goblin. Uh, She's she's an effective enemy. And so that makes her at least interesting on that level. It's not one of these things where he just built up a story where where the Black Company can just like, right, "Oh, we got we got the Unknown Shadows and and we got 12,000 new troops from the land of Unknown Shadows and we have Tobo now and and we're just going to steamroll everybody."
0: Yeah, so Tobo. I mean, is is Tobo the one that one of the ones that you don't want to talk about yet? Either of you? Ooh, um, uh, we can talk about Tobo. Uh, we can to... talk about Tobo. <laughs> I have four uh, I, words. I won't say a ton, but I'll say a little bit. <laughs> I have four words on Tobo. That's it. <laughs> really? Tobo is Gary Stu. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That's all I wrote about Tobo. You will change your opinion on that.
1: Um, okay.
0: Okay.
1: He is I think Tobo's actually a really fascinating character. Oh yeah. Um, I can see how his supreme capability can come across as a you know, an idealized, you know, a Gary Stew. I don't think he's an author self insert, and I don't think Hot he's without is. Hot his Hot flaws. Me. We have already seen the holes starting to be poked in Tobo's composure through through the first sixty two chapters here where he's, I mean, he's always been in conflict with his mother. But you can write that off as like, oh, he's a teenager, whatever. But here we see him becoming exasperated with the demands placed upon him by literally everyone around him. And we see him start making mistakes because of the sheer weight of his responsibilities. He forgot about fixing the shadow Gate. If it weren't for Shavetya the entire host of the unknown dead would have poured into the world and killed everybody. Okay. You know? Okay. And That's fair. and yeah. he starts he starts snapping back at Lady and, and Croker. And we see him um being manipulated by the Vorosh children. And it, it's only right at the end of this selection here that Croker kind of forces it through his head. Look, you can't trust these guys. Like Especially the, the girls, you can't trust these girls. Like, and and Tobo goes out and he, and he tests them and he duels them and he's like, all right, Shukrat, we can trust. Arcana, no. Magadan, no. Grumovall, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> like, and uh, and and so we we see Tobo beginning to show flaws as this book grows on and i think there is an important point that uh croaker brings up and sleepy a little bit in water sleeps but Croker mostly here where he's like tobo's been great so far he's been a saint he's been awesome but we've never really seen him tested
0: yet sure sure i i, I don't mean as a, as a person He's and, without form. and the Voroshk are like the first test that he has and we see him not
1: handle it super well
0: yeah, I, I meant to say, I, I should have specified, I guess. I, what I mean is, like, with his with his growing amount of power and his intellect and the, the ease with which he, he learns everything around him. Uh, yeah, he's talented. He's super, but super he's, talented. He, uh, yeah, but I, for me, it's just he's talented in a few too many ways. All of his flaws seem to be with his person and none with his abilities. Um, the
2: same thing could I don't have said... a problem with that.
0: Yeah, it thing. is a very subjective thing. I'm not going to use that to condemn Cook or anything like that. Uh, this is just a complaint about Tobo, even though I still find him fascinating. Uh, Pat, cause... same thing?
2: The The same thing can be said for many other characters in the series, too, like Soulcatcher and Lady. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, and for that matter, the Dominator and all of the other Taken and all the oh, ladies effectively
0: like... neutered, though, for a Well, lot,
1: well no, part. I mean, like... uh, to, to take a, an example from another series, the same thing can be said of Rand in yeah. The Wheel of Time. You know?
0: The same thing okay. instead of. Maybe, yeah. You know? Um, I don't think Rand comes by his powers too. I mean, think about what he did in Book Eight, which I can't get into, but.
1: That's no, but a... that That's my point. Rand, in his talents and abilities, is crazy good at everything he does. His problems are in his personality and in the mental side of him. Um, it's the same thing with Tobo. Tobo's literally Rand, he's crazy magically powerful and a great swordsman um but rand <laughs> it it's important
2: to you know remember rand is not good at healing um he's there it, it are will, certain things to
1: do with the powers yeah that but he's but sure tobo at. there are things tobo can't do either tobo's not a necromancer you know lady constantly complains she's like oh i wish there were any good necromancers left you're like tobo this is one of the things you know maybe you can say it's a a flaw in the soft magic system that glenn cook wrote because the powers aren't super well defined or didn't that it's easy to just expect that Tobo can do everything because Glenn Cook doesn't take the time to say oh there are these
0: different schools of magic that Tobo's not good at Tobo's you know only been with us though for water sleeps and like at least in in, like his adult to uh, his his teenage to adult years he's only been with us for four or five hundred pages for two books, roughly. I mean, with Rand, you know, we had thousands and thousands of pages to at least somewhat kind of okay, okay, excuse me, okay. maybe but, he could learn to do all but this. But with keep Tobo. in mind,
1: keep in mind those thousands of pages with Rand in two like, two and a half years. I, yeah, I know, for yeah. Tobo,
0: yeah. this has been like what fourteen years,
1: fifteen no, no, years. I mean,
0: Tobo didn't even know he was he, he had any any talent until he was in his teenage years, right?
1: No, well he, he was learning secretly with Goblin and One Eye the whole time in Water Sleeps and before that. Yeah. All and right. then he has four more years between those two be between counting. Water Sleeps and Soldiers Live. Was, where he's you know, training with the most powerful living sorcerers outside
0: of Soulcatcher. Yeah. Like with Rand we saw a yeah. lot of it develop. With Tobo it was just explain, it was just explained right yeah, there. I, like,
1: I mean I don't I don't have a problem with that because it
0: yeah, sure. it's explained.
1: If it weren't explained, if if there were no long shadow Lady, and Howler for him to learn from between Water Sleeps and Soldiers Live, then yeah, I'd have a problem with him suddenly being an all-powerful sorcerer who only got trained by a couple of low-level illusionists. But he does get trained by super-powerful sorcerers, and he has access to uh, the repositories at Kong-Fi, you know, where Mergen and and Sara and Master Santaraxita are doing research for him, and, you know... And so he's he's got a unique, uh, a, a uniquely
0: good position to yeah. He, he is given very fertile ground. I'll agree with yeah, that too. Yeah. yeah.
2: Um, to yeah, you guys but... and and to our listeners, I'll say tune in to our hundredth episode celebration to hear my rant on the worst Gary Sue of all time.
1: Ooh, <laughs> interesting. An, an Sorry, the worst while, of all time.
0: There, my headphones have turned down really low. An offender, much more
1: vile than tobo i'm pretty sure i know who you're talking about but but yeah well we're we're doing a um uh i mean at at the point our listeners are hearing this episode uh the hundredth celebration will already be out for for about a month
2: well if you guys Uh, haven't listened
1: to it go do so (laughs) yeah yeah definitely do that um uh I, I want to jump off from Tobo and I want to talk about the Voroshk. I want to talk about specifically Shukrat and her relationship with Tobo. And, uh, and, and, and by extension, Arcana and Gromoval and Magadan, but Shukrat especially. Um, I, I really like these characters. My only complaint is that they came in so late in the series because I, I wish I had more time with them i love i I love e- e how in such a small space glenn cook develops them into characters that i'm invested in like i couldn't agree more
2: hmm. uh, um, and maybe it's because we <clears throat> have the benefit of the latter half of this book also to go on we do yeah but i confess that i was interested from the start
1: Yeah, like, uh, he does a great job of building personalities for all four of them right off the bat. You know, Shukrad is, like, bubbly and flirty. Arcana is the ice queen. Uh, Gromovol is the, like, kind of obnoxious jock, plotting and and (laughs) egotistic and, and arrogant. And then Magadan is more, like, quiet and introspective and apparently has a healing touch. You know, and... And I, immediately I'm like, I want to know more about all of these characters. I want to see how they're going to uh, engage with the company. I want to see how they're going to adapt to their new situation. And we yeah. see Shukrat adapting here. I mean, one of the last chapters we read for this week, she earns the trust of Kroker. Not just Toba, but Croker. You know, she says, it's time for you guys to decide whether you're going to trust me or not. And Kroker just overrules everyone. He's like, all right, get on your flypost, post, go, go tell Blade. And then she pops up on her toes and kisses Tobo on the cheek. <laughs> like <laughs> how endearing is Shukrat?
2: It's
0: yeah, quite. I mean, I'll, I'll just refer to what I said earlier. I didn't. I didn't like having these characters introduced. In book 10, chronologically, <laughs> of the series, because, like you guys, I would have appreciated a few more books with them to, to to develop and to explore those characters, to give them a little more context, you know? I don't like when, when major players like this or at least somebody who could be very enjoyable as a character and have way more context and depth are just introduced so late. We don't have time to do that. I mean, we've got, what, 200 pages left? Something like yeah. that? About 300, 350. Mm, okay. It's hard to judge <clears throat> that on an audiobook, but... Yeah, I
2: mean. I think it's all they, part of Glenn Cook's master plan to always leave us with this bittersweet. Yes. Uh, yeah. Thing going okay.
1: On. Yeah, I, I, I think he was aware of the potential issues narratively and sympathetically for his readers, bringing in new plot elements and new characters this late in the game. And I think he decided, you know what? This fits what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I can't. I can't fault him for it. And and yeah, I mean, when it's... push comes to shove, I still. I still love it. I love the implications of, you know, all of these sixteen worlds off the plane. I love the implications of the Voroshk family as a whole. I love reading about Shukrat and Arcana and and Magadan and Grumbleval. I I enjoy the hell out of it. So ultimately, I'm like, yeah, I can I can wish I had more, but I'm not gonna say it was a bad choice to make. Fair. Very fair, yeah. Yep. Um, I've
2: got more to say about this, but it, it'll be yeah, saved for later. Yeah, we'll we'll I'm save sure a you.
1: lot more discussion about the Varash for sure. I will for too. the we'll second the soldiers lit episode. episode. <laughs> um, uh, but but I want to do at least get a little bit out of the way on, on Shukrat here because she she very quickly becomes
0: one of the more enduring characters in the series. Cool. Yeah, agreed. Okay. Um. My last of all my character points is one simple, stupid point about (laughs) Boo-Boo. And I just want to point out how hilariously condescending and underwhelming that nickname is for someone like her. Awesome. (laughs) I get a kick out of it.
1: Uh, Did you enjoy the line uh, at the top of the Citadel on Dejigore when Lady says, that was the night we made Boo-Boo? And And Croker's like, that was a
0: real (laughs) Boo-Boo. Yeah. I laughed. I went, "Ah, okay, Boomer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was good. I did laugh. It was a legitimate laugh. It wasn't a uh,
1: I have, pity laugh. I have one more character point, and this is very short. Uh, Suvrin. Okay, Suverin, Hit me. He's come a long way. Yeah, man. He, you know, he, he went from, like, the pudgy, incompetent, reluctant prisoner of war to now he's, like, Sleepy's right-hand man. He's, Croker uh, says his, like, mantra is, every day in every way I will become a better soldier. That's like, so cool. He's... Yeah. yeah. He's he's become like a, a really you know, a really impressive young man. Um I don't know, it, it's it, it's just fun to see him in action now after seeing him in in action <laughs> in water yes. sleeps. Yeah. Um it's it's another
2: example of one of the many characters whose loyalties and allegiances
0: are um somewhat elastic. Mhm. Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he uh, he's he's definitely near the top of my list. I really am. Like, I'm really invested in Subrin. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so do we have any more character points to discuss? None. I just have some predictions to make for yeah. our miscellaneous.
1: Uh, I, okay, sweet. So I have a couple of miscellaneous points, and and then maybe uh, go into
0: predictions. Yeah, sweet. I'll, Sounds good. I'll, I'll I'll make predictions too. <laughs> okay <laughs> I could use the help thing
1: um,
0: I, have, I have this one
1: line highlighted it's the first line of chapter 4 uh, the chapter is titled The Grove of Doom Night Songs and the line is the drums had begun at sunset softly a dark whispering promise of a shadow of all night falling some great writing right there Yeah, you know. but I mm. want to specifically point out a shadow of all night falling that is the title of a book by Glenn Cook mm-hmm. in the Dread Empire series. Is it really? Yep. yep. The first book in the Dread Empire series is titled A Shadow of All Night Falling. Um, th- this is one thing. You can tell when Glenn Cook, like, he nails a line, he, he comes up with something really good, he will reuse it. Uh, He, he will definitely reuse it. In, in a series and between series
2: the whole glittering nothing story, wrong with that man um, the whole glittering stone sequences are a testament to what you're saying drew
1: oh my god absolutely yes, so good that's how to do it right. or, or things yeah. like uh the dominators um slogan like surrender to the will of the night uh, i believe that is also used at one point in the dread empire series um, uh, it is
2: it's another book in the series if i'm not mistaken mm. surrender to the will of the night no um, like a book title? Yes. I know that it that phrase crops up
1: a lot. No, I it's not a book title. I mean the I mean maybe maybe we'll take just a, a brief aside here to talk about how freaking awesome his uh <laughs> um his titles are. Uh, the the Dread Empire, the main sequence of the books are A Shadow of All Night Fallen, October's Baby, All darkness met, the fire in his hands, with mercy toward none, reap the east wind, an ill-fate marshalling, and a path to coldness of heart. (laughs) No, I mean, Glenn Cook
2: is my favorite (laughs) namer of things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Damn. I mean, he's... Damn. And and then they're all collected, right? They're omnibus versions, the way there are with the Black Company. Um, And the omnibuses are a cruel wind, a fortress in shadow, an empire unacquainted with defeat, which is maybe the greatest title (laughs) of all time. What the hell? And and wrath of kings.
0: But yeah, an empire unacquainted with defeat. How badass is that? (laughs) I, I... I can't even say i 100% even like that one. I don't. I have to give it some more. I have to let it simmer. Oh, it's that so one's a, good. That might be like 10 percent too spicy for me. That one. It's so good. Um, oh, those are so uh, many. Those then, are gave me goosebumps though, man. Those are. Uh, and then
1: I I want to bring up the uh, so my next miscellaneous point. The theme of this book. Mm. The theme of this book, you know, we are given in the title, right? You know, soldiers live. And and we're told early on in this book, it's this this sort of um, phenomenon where where soldiers go through their lives, they go through combat, they lose their their comrades, and after the fact, they wonder why did I live? Soldiers live and wonder why, and they remember. They they you know that remembrance is essentially the core. And, uh, you know, there's, there's this, this line early on, or this paragraph, really. Corker says, there were dreams. I remembered everyone who had gone before me. I remembered the places and times. Cold places, hot places, weird places, always stressful times, swollen with unhappiness, pain, and fear. Some died. Some did not. It makes no sense when you try to figure it out. Soldiers live. And wonder why. And then a little later here, we have Glenn Cook playing some... some uh, amusing... Uh, amusing tricks with with his prose. As the company is about to break out of the Shadowgate back into their original world, below Overlook, Suvrin is talking with Sleepy. And, and she remarks, we're only 30 miles from where you were born. And he says, less. I wonder if anybody will remember me in that moment. He's talking about like, you know, the people who live there. Will anybody remember who I am? But in the grand scheme of the book, I wonder if anybody will remember me. We're reading an in-world artifact remembering Suvran. Yeah. And there are, there are these, these little things seeded throughout this book Building up this this thematic backbone. It's so good. It's it's really clever writing.
2: Right. Um, this touches on one of the thematic points that I'm going to expand more on in the next episode. But as you brought mm-hmm. it up... Um, I mean, yes, that is the theme of the book. And it's, it's still along the bittersweet lines that we've come to expect at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, remembrance...
2: Yeah. I mean it's 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 sweet because well the memories are sweet but memories can
1: also be rather yeah. bitter and remember stone remembers mm-hmm. but stone has little nutritional value
0: <laughs> yeah yes it does it's a, it's a good dietary supplement
1: <laughs> yeah and so there's two uh, sides I... to
0: it I mean with sleepy we get this in water sleeps you know how Memories, even though they can be immortal, you know, can't. They don't always have to be good ones. You know, it's it's there. It's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is.
2: It but is. But if we, it's it's even more bitter because if we go back to the like the very first paragraph of the first Black Company book, Croker opines that, in his opinion, in the end, death will swallow up everything. So even these memories are not immortal they too are going to pass away in time
1: I don't remember that line from the beginning of the first book
2: yep very beginning maybe that this is see. how
0: he's changed like maybe he has changed by the end who knows I don't know I gotta see this ending I have to see all, this end. all
1: I remember is is from the beginning is like you know there were prodigies' importance enough, One Eye says, you know, and that he's like, One Eye's handicap in no way impaired his marvelous hindsight. <laughs> uh, where was the. Yeah. I don't remember this. <laughs> Such a cheeky line. I love it. I'm going to have to look this up uh, after the episode. But, uh, but yeah, if, if we want to move on to uh,
0: predictions, Rob, sure. I'm done with my miscellaneous points. Okay. Okay. Um, chapter 20. We're passing the Shadow Gate. Croker thinks for a moment that he has deja vu when he's looking at the Nef. He also thinks that they clearly want to communicate. I want to make a prediction before we get to the end here. So, the Nef, in some way, actually, uh, oh, I don't want to say they actually are members of the Black Company, old or new. I wouldn't even know which. I would love it if there were members of the Black Company that we would recognize. But honestly, the logistical problem with. 99% of those dying, you know, years gone and hundreds to thousands of miles removed from glittering stone. I don't know. But there's a reason that the Nef that, that they're so insistent on following and they're trying to communicate. There's a big revelation here about them. And the fact that Croker thinks he has deja vu when looking at them is very significant.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: okay. Okay. Next. One-Eyed Spear. I'm hoping this is going to kill Kina. And Ooh. There's this added detail in there though. That's that that I think it was Goblin that said the head of the lance of passion is somehow like pulled in or embedded in, in Kina's womb, whatever that means. Um, <coughs> but I, th- I think One Eye Spear is going to be the one to do some damage. So,
1: so yeah, I I, I actually have that line highlighted where where um, Goblin says you know like the only thing left from the standard is the the spearhead. And she has like taken that into her womb, and I thought that was um, like a really clever little bit of um, uh, a callback because (laughs) the company standard (laughs) in lore
2: was the
0: lights of passion.
1: Yeah,
2: (laughs) supposed to be a penis. (laughs) Yeah, joke.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I like that answer. (laughs) I really do. Yeah. Uh, let see here oh this uh, so, sorry actually I'm going to skip past this to my, my last point and then I'll return earlier um, Drew you were talking about Mogaba earlier and this actually prompted me to write a prediction that's the one I already brought up earlier um, about uh-huh. this sacrifice play that I want to see out of Mogaba to atone for his sins I'd love to see that mm-hmm. okay um, okay question who is writing these soul catcher points of view
1: Uh, I assume Croker, uh, they have information constantly coming in from the Unknown Shadows about everything Soulcatcher
0: is doing. Okay, the Unknown Shadows could be the answer to that, because I was going to say, I mean, I get they have a shaky truce with one another at the moment, but it's I highly doubt it's the kind of truce that gets detailed descriptions for the annals of the Black Company about her sneaky travels through the Nether Taglian territories, like, okay, but with the shadows spying on her, that does make a little more sense. Thank you.
1: Yeah, Thank and, you. and there are some... With the information you know right now, there are still some inconsistencies with that, but those,
0: in my opinion, get addressed by the end of the book. Okay. Okay. So, And uh, my last... Actually, it's not really predictions, but just my last miscellaneous point, and really my last point for the first half of this book, um, was a line out of Eridatha near the end. I think it was actually chapter 62. Or 61, actually, I actually think it would have been. Somewhere around there. Uh, it was when Sleepy told him... Tell my associates why we should trust anything you tell us, Eridatha. And he says, I am, of course, damned to walk in the shadow of a man I only met once in my life, after I was a grown man, and then for only a few minutes, several years ago, in your presence. (laughs) That's the legacy of the deceivers. The cult destroys trust. My answer is, all men should be judged by one standard. Their behavior, by the deeds they do. The gesture of good faith I have to make in this instance is, I think generous. I just I had to stop and write down. Damn. That was a point well made by Aradatha Singh. He he really kind of checkmated them with that one, I think. Dude, Ar- Aradatha's the bad. Like, he's awesome, great. He's just, dude. Great. <laughs> he's just yeah. great. Yeah. So that's everything I have to say about Soldiers Live Part 1. Anything else from you guys? I'm good.
1: Uh all I have to say is it's going to kill me waiting to get to part 2.
0: Uh, yeah i have a much longer work week to look forward to for this the remainder of this weekend next week so i'm gonna be able to blaze through soldiers live i'll probably honestly finish this in two shifts not even and then i'm gonna be sitting here for five days you know biting my knuckles waiting to talk about it that's how (laughs) i feel these next few days are gonna go
1: yeah yeah and uh and i will say our plan is we're gonna have jared back on for uh for soldiers live part two uh, he had to miss this week. He just had a little, little too much going on with work. couldn't Couldn't uh, you know set aside a couple of hours to record with us? But, but that's okay because we had Pat on this week, and and we'll have Pat on again not, next week for a. I am not just a substitute for Jared Dan. Yeah.
0: No, 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 no. We're we're gonna
1: have Pat back for for part two as well, and and it's gonna be a a delightful circus. So yes. Uh, I think that brings us to the end of our discussion on the first half of soldiers live.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's head into the final draft. Okay. I'm drinking another Canadian beer today. Once again, from Kingsville in the town in which I work, I just found out there's a brewery there recently. I brought on a Kingsville draft before, and I remember finding that it was, it was okay. I don't even really remember what the name was. This one I decided to pick up on the way home a few days ago. This is called, and I I don't even know how badly I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this one. It is spelled H-E-F-E-W-E-I-Z-E-N. Hefeweizen is the closest. Hefeweizen, yeah. Sorry?
1: Uh, It's a Hefeweizen. Oh, Hefeweizen, okay.
0: Yeah, German style beer. Okay, sweet. Now, this one boasts, you know, bananas and cloves as it's, you know ingredients as well and that really came through i had no idea what it was at first some part of me thought it was nutty and a little bit bready and and i, I looked on the back and i saw bananas and cloves and i was like that makes total sense it's actually delicious it's pretty you know standard and abv it's only five percent but damn i mean i wasn't I, I i haven't had a lot of canadian beers at least
1: so i'm gonna level. blow your mind there aren't actually bananas and cloves in it. No? That's that's just the flavor profile that comes through uh, with that particular style of beer out of Germany. Oh, um, the, really? The Hefeweizen style. The kind of yeast they use to brew that beer imparts flavors of banana and clove. Oh. Uh, and for me... That's cool. I actually deeply dislike Hefeweizens yeah. because I, for some reason, there's like a genetic thing, I don't know... That yeast doesn't taste like banana and clove to me. It tastes like a Most bar of soap. Doesn't. Really? Yep. It is very unfortunate. I like half a too. That sucks because yeah. I'm I'm enjoying the
0: hell out of this one, dude. Yeah, I think it's one of those things like uh, how some people think cilantro tastes like soap. Yeah, I was gonna. I was wondering yeah. which one mm-hmm. it was. Thank you, cilantro. That was actually low key bugging me. I was just gonna. I just wasn't yeah. gonna mention it. <laughs> and I love yeah. cilantro. Cilantro is awesome. I don't
1: have the soap thing with that, but whatever reason the the specific. Um, you know styles of yeasts that uh, are used in Hefeweizen. Like nope, um,
0: not not for Drew. <laughs> interesting. All right, yeah. Pat. Uh, but so, uh, what was the name of your beer, though? Oh, sorry, it, it just says Hefeweizen on it. King's. Oh, oh, beer, so Hefeweizen. it's just called. Like, Hefeweizen. I don't Hefeweizen think it has a name, really. Um, I've been drinking. <laughs> gotcha. Like like yeah,
1: so they just named it after Ireland. the style. Yeah, yeah? special yeast from New Belgium brewery Sorry, um, it
2: was very nice. Um it's a uh, 9% so oh. nice and uh, nice and oh. strong um, there's a good amount of oh, nice. like, cherry and orange in the aftertaste but it still tasted like drinking like a beer so i very much enjoyed it um, the name it's my very own lance of passion mm-hmm. called oak spire
1: mm. yeah 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 nice Nice. very good very good i actually <laughs> haven't had the uh the new version of of oak spire yet mm. um i had the original one that was Oakspire, just like the bourbon barrel it. ale but i haven't had the old-fashioned style one yet Hmm, i'll have to check that out well uh i have been drinking an imperial stout from timber ales in north haven connecticut uh, so it's an imperial stout aged with maple syrup, coffee, and cassia bark, and it is it is definitely really good. I I am enjoying the hell out of this one. I'm uh, sorry.
2: I'm sorry, but like bark a lot of, in beer is not something I would expect. What, what's to that? add to it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's really good. So the, the cassia okay. bark imparts in, in this kind of like spicy, almost cinnamon like flavor. Um, and it plays really well with the, the maple syrup and coffee uh does it have an ABV on this um oh 12 percent oh good okay god <laughs> that's that well it hides it I'll tell you that I would have guessed this is like a nine percent at most wow okay um but anyway for this beer I'm going to read a a very short selection from uh soldiers live. <clears throat> Uh, I gotta, I gotta find my highlight again. Uh, gotta scroll all the way down because I have it in my, uh, you know, it's both water, sleeps and soldiers live. And this is referring to the, uh, the land of unknown shadows and the unknown shadows themselves, and it says Toba lived as much in the world of the hidden folk as he did in ours. Oh. This beer is called well He Who Walks Among Monsters.
0: Ooh. <laughs> Whew. It sounds yeah. almost like a Glenn Cook-worthy title.
1: I know, right?
0: Like, like
1: you, you'd expect that to pop up in All some graffiti and nice. at some point.
0: Right. That's pretty cool. mm Oh, god. Yeah. Some more so than others? Oh, what was the, oh god, the response to that My one. brother
1: Unforgiven is knowing Mogaba now I should have brought this up earlier, but I, I just gotta say it now. Knowing the transformation Mogaba has undergone over the last few years in world how hard my brother Unforgiven must hit him in the same way that Rajadharma Hit the radisha. You know,
0: like, mm, good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I was so excited to get to the next one. All right, boys.
1: Yeah, so I think that brings us to the end of our coverage of the first half of Soldiers Live. This has been episode 105 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. And next up, we will be finishing off Soldiers Live and with it, the Main Sequence of the Black Company by yes. Glenn Cook. It's been a long time coming and I am so excited. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get early access to that episode, if you're just as excited as we are, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com/inkingoutloud. If you support the show there, you can get access to all kinds of bonus content including early access to episodes. So uh, you know, we we really appreciate everybody who's oh, yes. helping keep this show running. There, I know Pat is also appreciative because uh, one one hundred percent of those proceeds go into the pockets of our hardworking behind-the-scenes people, Pat and Danny, for their their artwork and sound engineering. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. The next episode is going to be off the hook. <laughs> it is. It it is there may or may not be tears <laughs> i had tears um, last episode yeah yeah uh, and of and course, of course oh, uh, our, our very special $1 guest $1 patrick $1 McCaffrey. thanks for coming on pat the world is expensive <laughs>
2: <Humble beginnings laughs> yet,
0: really helps out pat <laughs> 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 yeah yeah
1: <laughs> Alrighty. well thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye, everyone.